So welcome to the third episode of Newman Talks. This episode is based around mental health and is for University Mental Health Day. To start the podcast off, what we're going to do is quickly go around the Zoom room and speak to each panellist and find out who they are and what they do at Newman. So I'll start it off and I am Liam Rogers and I'm your current Vice President. Next, we will go to Marie. Brilliant, thank you. Um, I'm Marie and I'm the Inclusions and Communities Coordinator working with Student Union. Um, Sam? Hi, I'm Sam. I'm a second year law student. And finally, Ryan? I'm Ryan Beasley and I'm the general manager at the Student Union. So that's great. Now we know who the panellists are and a little bit about what they do. We'll get straight into the topic. Um, and the first question I'm going to ask you all is, what is mental health? Um, I know this is a very broad question and it is open to your interpretation. So it is your viewpoint on it. Um, you can talk about what positive mental health looks like um, and what mental health illnesses look like as well and the variations between them. Um, so what we will do is go back to you, Brian, to start it off, if that's okay. Thank you. Um, for me, it, the topic of mental health is really complex, but I think on the surface, people um, make it a bit more difficult than what it should be. So I view mental health in the same way that I view physical health. Um, in physical health, we have our really good days um, when we are absolutely cold free. And then we have physical health where we have our bad days where, you know, sometimes we call it freshest flu and, and we have the flu and we feel a bit run down. Well, mental health for me is the exact same thing, but in more of a thoughts and feelings and um, perceptive. So some days I can just wake up and feel on top of the world. And then there's no particular reason. Um, I just feel great. And there are other days I can just wake up and, and staff will tell you I could just be in a terrible mood. <laughs> I've got lots of smiles around the room. Now, there's lots of contributing factors to this. And I'm sure we'll, we'll explore those as the questions go on. But to me, to summarise, mental health should be, and I don't think it, it is at the moment, should be viewed in the exact same way as, as physical health. And, and to pull on the training that myself and Maria have received as mental health first aiders, um, we do that anyway. So in physical first aid, um, if you're a first aider, you would be expected to clean up a cut and perhaps put a plaster on. You know, you have a certain extent of um, responsibilities that, that you can do. But if um, the kind of the cut's really deep or if somebody breaks their leg or a bone of any kind, then you're not expected to fix that there and then because you kind of need to be qualified to do that and you need certain equipment. So in a mental health first aid perspective, it's the same thing. You know, if there is somebody who's having a bit of a tough time, the job of a mental health first aid is to just calm them down and get them into a space, um, if possible, uh, where, where they're able to think clearly and to be in a calm environment. If somebody is having a a really, really rough time and um, you're not able to deal with that as a mental health first aider because you're, you know, you're not a doctor, then at that point you need to call for an ambulance. So that's why I see them as, as ultimately the same thing. 
Thank you for that answer, Ryan. Sam, Marie, does anyone have anything to add on to that or anything um, to say? Yeah, I, I would go on it from a person who suffers mental health quite a lot and from someone whose mental health has been bad and seen others' mental health bad around them. Um, for me, like negative mental health is the days when you can't leave your bed, the days when you literally don't speak to people because it takes so much energy away from you. And then you've got other days where you're bouncing off the walls, happy to meet people and just friendly towards everyone. And then people just say, oh, you're fine. Like, you don't need, you don't need any, you don't need the medication you're on anymore. You're, you're doing perfectly fine. You need to get you off the medication. It's like, no, the medication is what is making me feel like this. And with echoing with what Ryan says, it's like a lot of people don't understand that. For some reason, there is a big contrast in difference for people caring about physical health compared to mental health. Like, you wouldn't tell a di diabetic to stop taking their insulin med medication. So why tell someone who suffers from mental health to stop taking their mental health medication? I think you just raised um, a very good point there, Sam. Um... I see that Ryan's got his hand up in the virtual room, so I think he wants to add something else. Yeah, I think that's a really good point there, Sam. But what made me um, put my hand up there is something that I forgot to mention is that everybody's different. And I suppose that's the same with, with uh, physical health. Everybody's cold is different. I know a lot of people joke about the so-called man flu. And people respond to physical health in different ways. And I think that's the same with mental health. So there is no kind of one size fits all when it comes to mental health. There are some people who have different um, ways of coping uh, and have their own coping mechanisms. To pull on uh, an, an analogy of the, um, the water tank, people have different sized water tanks. Uh, some are bigger than others. And the water tank is how much you can sort of absorb in terms of your poor mental health. So if you've got lots of things going on at home, at work, in relationships, in friendships, some people have a large water tank and they can put all of those things into this tank without it affecting them, without it overflowing. Now, some other people have smaller water tanks and if you have all of those things at once, their tank overflows. And every single person is completely unique. And it's not only um, the size of the water tank, it's how they respond to different things. So some people may be able to deal with relationships very easily, but deal with work-related issues very um, and not so good. Um, but then other people would sort of flip that round and can deal with work really easily and they can detach themselves from work, but deal with relationships um, not in the best way. So every single person is different. And then to go on to kind of when it comes to medication and, you know, I'm no doctor at all. Uh, but again, people respond differently. On my own reflection, um, back in 2016, I had a complete mental breakdown, um, which... I was going to have some time off work. I was prescribed medication. The medication didn't work for me personally. And what I found was the best thing to do for me was to stop taking medication, come back into work, 
and get on with routine. And that's how I dealt with that. Now, every single person is very different. I think that's a really key point that, that we might want to talk about today. Thank you for that, Ryan. Uh, Marie, did you have anything else to add? I did. I've always got things to say. I've always got things. Um, I actually agree with everything that Ryan and Sam are saying. And for me, I've dealt with a lot of cases of mental health, not just in my role in a mental health first aider, but before I even came to work here, when I was working in the city of Wolverhampton College, part of my safeguarding team there was we obviously dealt with mental health. And something that I really learned from that, and it's affected the entire way that I, I view mental health and mental health conversations, is that mental health is just something that exists. And we actually have a big habit of labeling, is it good mental health or is it bad mental health? And actually I think something that I tend to view it as is a spectrum. And that spectrum is different for everyone, but it exists for everyone. And you'll go up and down that spectrum, similar to what Ryan was saying earlier with, you can have good mental health days and bad mental health days. That's exactly what he's talking about, is there is a spectrum for mental health. And I think we have such a, a big, almost tick boxing exercise in our current society, where we go, this is exactly what bad mental health looks like. And this is exactly what good mental health looks like. And actually, it's not possible to do that. When you look at some people, uh, and I think Sam raised a brilliant point earlier, when some people think bad mental health, you think someone who's lacking that energy, can't get out of bed, you know, might be crying an awful lot. But actually, there is a thing called hidden bad mental health as well. And there are lots of people who will put on a front, put on a face, who will sit there and actually smile and be really, really happy for the outside world. And I think the primary example of that was Robin Williams. No one, I think, really understood that this happy comedian who was involved in so many things for children and broadcasting such positivity to other people was actually very, very depressed and unwell. And I think that's something for me, when I sit there and look at mental health, I'm going, actually, it's something that you can't always define. It's something that an individual person can define. And there are very rare occasions where I can sit there and go, okay, this is where you fit on the spectrum, because I think this is something that individuals need to decide for themselves and something that doctors can help with. Thank you. Sam, I know you had your hand up. Was there something you wanted to add? I just wanted to echo what Marie said about um, Rod Williams and like there's loads of other celebrities as well who, 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 looked, who looked like they had the perfect life. And it reminds me of a quote like, those who laugh loudest are crying inside. And I think even if people display what you would call normal mental health, they are not. Because even that is a show of hiding their emotions or feelings. Again, they are not. It's, but that at the end of the day is more dangerous because they're not being honest to themselves. Ryan, did you have one last point you wanted to add to this? Yeah, it was just to pick up on something Marie said about uh, the spectrum of mental health. And I think two things have happened over the last few years. One of them is that mental health is spoken about a lot more um, in the media, in the workplace. And I think that is absolutely a positive thing. 
I think on the back of that, one of the very negative things that I've seen is that there are some people, um, perhaps that there's lots of people of a different generation, a different way of thinking who will say that um, that's not mental health, they're just upset. And I think it's that kind of lack of understanding because actually mental health is a spectrum. If somebody is upset, that is mental health. It's not just, people assume that when you talk about mental health, it has to be about somebody's worst days and things like suicide. Actually, mental health is also the good days. It is a complete spectrum from one side to the other with no set scale of like one to 10. It's everything in between. It's your very, very best days that you'll remember for the rest of your life, right through to the very worst days that you'll equally remember for the rest of your life for the wrong reasons and everything in between. And I think it's that level of education that's missing at the moment. Thank you, Marie. This is gonna be the final point on this question. You always got to have the last say, I know. <laughs> um, no, it's just to echo really and agree with Ryan. Uh, I absolutely 100% agree with everything that he's just said and to expand on that a little bit more. There's a lot of people that I've had come to me to say, well, I can't have bad mental health because I don't have a diagnosis. And it's, it's that stereotype and that stigma of, I must have schizophrenia or I must have bipolar disorder. I'm like, no, if you are having a bad day and it is affecting your mental health, you are having a bad mental health day. That is where you are on your individual spectrum. So that, that's a really key thing for me is that is a huge myth and misconception around this is you don't have to have a diagnosis to have a bad day and it can still be a bad mental health day for you. What I am going to do is say that there is something along the lines further down in the questions that sort of incorporates what you've just said, Marie. Um, so just to round that off, I think what we've sort of got from that little discussion there is that no two people are the same and overall generically make sure you check up on people because the individuals that you think are the most happiest may not actually be the most happiest and um, give me a thumbs up if i've sort of got that covered yeah so we're going to go into the next question and this one is a strongly agree or disagree um, so you might want to have a little bit of a think about this before responding and the strongly agree or disagree one is mental health is becoming less taboo. Uh, does anybody want to start this off? Someone just speak up if you want. Um, I can. Go on then, Sam. Um, I am disagreeing with this from a standpoint of a legal student. That certain terms used in the Mental, mental Health Capacity Act and Equality Act and just certain terms like, like if someone does commit suicide, it, you have the term commit, which is a term to, to commit a crime. Where su suicide was, it was illegal to commit suicide until the 80s or 90s. And yet we are still using terms like commit. And then going on even further, if you are sectioned or anyone you know is sectioned under, under the act, I can't remember which one top of my head, you are pretty much guaranteed to be sectioned again in your life just because you you show a similar symptom or a similar action where it's going to lead you back into a mental health hospital 
I've I've seen it. I've seen it from a point of view where it's they've just had a little bit of a breakdown in the shop and they've been sectioned again for like three or four months. And it's very difficult to leave that situation. It's the system is rigged against people mentally ill. And then on top of that, you still, I think Ryan and Liam might be able to go into more depth with it, but it's still very bad in sports and football. Like there's still a lot of hate crime and stuff there's still a lot of hate crime within sports and that is affecting footballers' mental health and sports sportsmen's mental health, which in turn they can't speak about anything about it. And it's like no one knows how to speak about it. No one knows how to create an open form conversation. And if we look, the government should be doing more to bring down waiting lists of mental health units and mental health referral services because a typical waiting list for dialectual behavior therapy which is mostly used with people with personality disorders and complex ptsd and stuff like that the waiting list is up to a year and and when you've got the likes of forward thinking birmingham within birmingham and it's you, you you go to sessions just like do you think do you think you're gonna kill yourself? No, I don't want to do it right now. Okay, we'll see you again in six months and then we'll then we'll sort something out. You, it's basically you're not suicidal, you're not gonna die as soon as you leave, so therefore you're not you, therefore you're not at the top of the list. If you're not a threat to yourself, the, the mental health services don't care about you. And that is the government's failing and because there is too much taboo about mental health. I think on that one, you've raised some very good um, points there, Sam. I think a little thing from me is that I think it's somewhat become a little bit less taboo, but there are still taboo within society. I think when discussing mental health, everyone can put stuff on social media and say, let's talk, um, I'm here if you need me. So there is that sort of knowledge that mental health is there, but there is still taboo, and especially with... um, men talking about mental health as well there's a very big taboo there which is one of the questions later on um so i do think it's become somewhat less taboo but there are still taboo there within society about mental health um ryan yeah i've written uh down three things that i really wanted to talk about um in this point uh i think the the question's a great question i think I've, I'm going to strongly agree because the question was uh, beginning um, to become less taboo. And I think it is because of how how widely it's spoken. I don't think it's the finished article. I think there have been shifts and there have been changes in, in culture um, around mental health, but it's nowhere near the finished article. And, and three things that I've been writing down um, while Sam has been talking, uh, we'll explain why. So I think the first one is about terminology. Um, and I do it myself. I'm, I'm happy to sit here and say that I'm guilty of it myself. When I'm in the in the pub with my friends and someone does something daft and I go, oh, you're mental. And it's things like the terminology that people use when they describe anything that's around mental health needs to be improved and there needs to be a lot more education. Um, I think to touch the point on social media, I have a huge problem with hypocrites on social media 
the kind of people that share mental health posts and then the next day start bullying somebody or sending emails to people in the harshest tone possible um, and look, you know, we, we all, we're all guilty of showing our thoughts and feelings and my staff will know sometimes if they've wound me up the wrong way, something I've asked them to do, they will get a, uh, they'll get a, a sharp email from me. But there's a difference between that and I see directly in, in, I see it in Newman's community, but I also see it in my own friendship groups with my very own friends that at one minute they are the saviors of mental health by sharing all kinds of posts. And then the next minute, they're making fun out of somebody. Um, and I just have a whole host of problems with that. Uh, and the final one is around health and safety. Um, from a management perspective, this year I've, I've brought into Newman uh, Student Union policies such as an employee assistance program. Uh, so for those people that don't know, an employee assistance program offers uh, virtual GP and kind of the physical health stuff, but also some mental health support for staff as standard that they don't have to pay for because that is our responsibility as an employer. Um, we also have Newman, things called Newman Good Days. So there are additional days leave that you can take. Um, and one of the reasons you may want to take them is for a mental health day. And I think that there are, while there are lots of employers introducing these kind of things, it's not something that is guided by law. Um, there are things we need to do in terms of a health and safety perspective. But actually, when I compared at the very beginning, when you asked what mental health was, and I explained it's, it should be viewed the same as physical health, in a health and safety perspective, I don't think they're viewed as the same. And I think that's a problem. Thank you, Ryan Marie. So I'm going to have to look at this question with two hats because otherwise I'm a fence sitter and I don't like being a fence sitter. So my first hat has got to be as a mental health first aider. And the second hat is just me as Marie with no job role attached to it. It's just this is who I am and my opinion as a person. As a mental health first aider, I would literally say, I, I would say that the taboo is not as strongly present, so we are making strides because we don't have, even back in the 90s, when I was growing up as a child, we didn't have mental health services. We didn't have school counsellors. We didn't have universities doing mental health campaigns. We didn't have schools doing mental health campaigns. All of these strategies are coming to raise awareness and and prevent as many bad happenings as possible. And that's something where I think, you know, 20 years ago when I was at school, if you'd have asked me as a child, even as a 10, 11 year old, oh, do you know anything about mental health? I wouldn't have had a clue what you were talking about. I wouldn't have understood the term at all. And yet I know children as young as 10 and 11 now who are able to say, oh, mom's having a little bit of a mental health day. And they won't fully understand the term, but at least it's language that's starting to be recognised. And because of that, and it's happening across the board, every single level, whether you are young, old, different ethnicities around the world, people are starting to actually have conversations on mental health, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And I think at some point in your life, you are recognising that you are going to meet someone who is struggling. And that's something that was always overlooked before, even when I was young growing up. So... Is it moving forward? 
yes. So therefore, it's not as taboo. Now, that's what I want to say as a mental health first aider. And I, be, I genuinely believe in that as a mental health first aider. However, as Marie, as just myself, I see that we are not where we need to be. There are so many experiences where I've seen even paramedics who are first aiders, most of them have never had mental health first aid and yet they are our frontline service. So the amount of times I've had to, especially when I was working in my previous job, the amount of times we would call 999 because there was a crisis that needed to be dealt with and the paramedics would come out and go, oh, do you have a mental health first aider? So I've made the call because a student's in crisis and then I have to deal with the crisis as well because the frontline service is not actually qualified to deal with that. And they're not comfortable taking them to hospital until they've settled somewhat as well. So it's these little things where actually, if we're truly wanting to recognize mental health and physical health as on that same plateau and that same level, why are we not offering the basic training to our frontline workers? And then another thing is, you know, we talked a bit about social media and how it's, it's very easy for people to push out a post and say, oh, mental health, be kind. And I, I kind of sit there and I go, oh, that's passive audience theory. And for anyone who doesn't actually know that theory, it's a case of, you tend to use it in films quite a lot, where you sit there and you go, let's tell your audience what your audience wants to hear. We don't need criticisms, we don't need discussion, we don't need anything. We just need to relay information and an audience will be happy. And that's actually what's happening with this. If we put out a kind poster about mental health, people will go, oh, what a good thing you've done. And that's it. We think that's it. We've tackled mental health and we've raised awareness. Actually, we're not. It's having these really difficult, in-depth discussions. It's challenging people on, should we have actually said that? Are we doing well-being checks properly? And it's little things like that where actually we need to stop moving away from being so passive off the topic and start properly engaging with it. And it's difficult. It's, it's sometimes not pleasant. It can make you feel a little bit drained. But actually on reflection, that's how you tackle stigmas of mental health. And that's how you actually help progress the movement so it's not taboo anymore because you're properly talking about it, not just being aware of it. Thank you, Marie. I think you've raised a very good point there about having the conversations. I think the conversations are very important. One, it erases a few more taboos within society and it educates people a little bit more. And it gives people the actual understanding of what some people may be going through. Um, also, having conversations could help someone who is having um, or experiencing bad mental health because their opportunity to feel comfortable with expressing how they're feeling to someone. And I think when you're having those conversations and you're able to do that, it makes them feel like someone cares and that they're actually listening to them. Um, Sam, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I wanted to echo something Marie just said. Um, like with how child saying, oh, my mum's having bad mental health. It's like when I've when I've travelled home from university, I once I saw a kid, possibly ten, nine, and he and it was like he had a rubber band on his wrist and he just kept doing it like as a like what is a what which is a known way of not to self-harm and it's 
it's why is it affecting people so young and why is it not being done sooner so and i think the stride is there it's like we don't tell kids about mental health they just say they're poorly they're, they're ill but we don't explain why and i think that's what where a lot why mental health cases are rising now because we are not dealing with it when it first comes up we're dealing with it too late i think you raise a very good point there as well sam is that we are seeing the age range differ massively now from getting that little bit older to vastly younger people experiencing bad mental health um we're going to go on to the next question and the next question is why do you think that statistically men are less likely to seek mental health support marie i've seen your hand up straight away yeah i kind of threw myself in here first because i'm not a man i'm, I'm literally i'm not a man <laughs> i'm a woman who has not experienced what men have experienced when they go through this however one of the things that's really stuck out for me with this and it, it probably comes up in my postgraduate degree a lot is the psychology of how society views men and a lot of the time we're still stuck in this perception of men must be strong they they must be the providers and they they must be the, almost the pillars for a foundation of their community and their family and their friends um and that's something that you know we keep challenging during campaigns that are coming up like time to talk we keep challenging these perceptions but actually sometimes when you look at these new campaigns that are coming up they're coming up now but we haven't re-educated the people who are supporting the men who are struggling with this as well so one instance of this was i once had a, a really nice sit down chat with a counselor um, we were both going to mental health first aid training because you tend to do top-ups every couple of years to make sure that you're okay, you're learning anything more. And in this meeting, this counsellor had literally turned around and said, I never work with a male client. And for me, I was like, okay, is that because you're a woman and they don't feel comfortable talking to you? Is, is it just that's not how your practice works? And the answer I got was she could not handle seeing a man cry because it would set her off. I was like, okay. And it was just literally that for her, she felt that it broke that masculinity that she's got built up in her head. And it's not that she's trying to be dispassionate to men and what they're going through. She just knew she was not able to provide the support for them because that social stigma was so ingrained in her education and so ingrained in her upbringing that by the time she's done seven to eight years of getting that qualification, being able to support people, the whole movement's changed. And it's this, this issue of, yes, we're talking about men a lot more. We're talking about the struggles that they go through and how actually they're human. Um, but at the same time, our education system of how we've gone about actually supporting this new development and new perceptions hasn't changed at all. And I think that's why we still see a lot of dropping statistics of men not reaching out for support. That would be my perception as a woman. Could be wrong. I think you've raised some very, very valid points there, Marie. I think the one thing from me is that men have this sort of pride feeling about them. Um, and 
you want to be a proud person. And I think men can also hide their emotions very, very well, more than what people think. Um, so I think that's also one of the reasons as why statistically it's less in men. Ryan, did you want to add anything onto that? Yeah, so um, I think that the, to kind of in addition to what Marie said, there is a whole conversation to have around um, gender assigned roles. Um, I, I think that that is a conversation that that is so big that actually we, we probably couldn't even start to explore that now in this forum. But there is a, there is an entire issue with that. And I wanted to pull on two examples um, around kind of how we how we view men. Um, the first one, I'll go with uh, an experience with a friend of mine. Now, this friend of mine, uh, I won't mention their name. They are um, they're known for being quite rough, um, quite tough, throwing their weight around a little bit. Uh, they go to the gym, big and muscly and strong, everything that the media tells us men should be. And I remember, and it's only now reflecting on it, I've only just thought of it now, that I remember seeing him upset once, and it's the only time I've ever seen him really upset, it's something to do with his children. And we were in the pub at the time playing pool, and, and he cried. And I remember I ran over to his cousin, who I know really well, and I said, oh my God, so-and-so is so upset, he's even crying. And it's just that that phrase, isn't it? Would I say that if, if that was a woman, you know, would I, the first thing that I would do, would I kind of panic and go to one of their family members? Like, oh my God, this, this man is crying. You know, if, if that was a woman, would I, would I do that? Or would I, uh, would I approach my friend as, as a woman and say, are you okay? You know, it's just them subtle differences that even I do myself. I think the other example that I wanted to pull on, which is a really personal example for me, and I wanted to share this with everybody. Um, my son Alfie passed away on the 28th of March in 2019. And when we, um, when he passed away, Jess was distraught, my partner was distraught. And I just took it on myself at the time. I mean, I was numb. And I took it on myself at the time to just deal with the funeral. And just kind of went, oh, yeah, I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. And in some ways, it helped me at the time because I got my teeth stuck into something and I was being the man of the relationship. I'm dealing with this. I'm, I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders because that's what I should do because I'm a man. And I did that and everything went as well as it could. But what I realized is long term actually it affected me a lot more. And now it probably affects me more, not more, it affects me differently. I think more is the wrong term to use, but it affects me very differently to, to the way it does for my partner. And that's because at the time, I didn't allow myself the opportunity to grieve straight away because of my thoughts and feelings of how I should behave as a man through this traumatic experience. And they're two things that I really wanted to share and, and reflect on. I think again there, Ryan, um, thank you for sharing those experiences. Um, I think with those about men crying, there is that big stigma there as well within society that actually you're a man, you shouldn't cry. I think when people talk about masculinity, they talk about the muscles and like, yeah, I'm this 
big man sort of thing. I think also to touch on masculinity, I think actually sort of being in touch with your emotions also makes you the person you are. So I don't think you need to change the way you are to fit society. I think the aspect of being yourself is making you who you are and it's um, the way that you are as a person. I think, um, secondly, to touch on your personal experience, I think the aspect of you getting into something and stuck into something to keep going, um, I think looking back on it, it was a very brave thing for you to do. And I think sometimes it does seem like you have to just get on with something to keep your mind at ease, where actually in the long run, it can affect you later on at stages. Um, so I think when it does affect you, that's when you need to be able to be comfortable to start talking about it. Um, Sam, do you have anything to add? Um, yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got two things similar, but from different perspectives. So as a non-binary person, but masculine showing, um, I work a lot with trans males, female to male. And most of them, if not all, have this notion in their head that they can't show emotion, they can't cry, because that's not what males do. Because it's in a way, that is what schools teach. And it's the way I think parents teach as well. And with something what Ryan just reminded me of, um, I'm a massive fan of musicals. And one of my favorite musicals is called Next to Normal. And it's about a woman with bipolar disorder after she lost her son from cancer at a very, very young age, like age one. And the whole musical is about how her mental health is destroying the family home, affecting, affecting the daughter, affecting the husband. But it's not till the end where you realize, where, where the show shows, hang on, the husband's also suffering with mental health because he can also see the demons which the wife was seeing. And it's, he never sought for help. He never looked for help. And I think it's one of those. It's the media, the media and films and show females suffering mental health, but never males. And I think if the media did it more, then more males would actually go, go to therapists and seek help. And if it's changing the topic ever so slightly, but still the same, you've got the same with Chinese and Asian communities where it is taboo to talk about mental health, where they don't go to mental health, because if you talk about mental health, it is a weakness and you're sharing family secrets. Marie, I'll come to you on one final point of this. Thank you. It's just literally to echo something that Sam raised around uh, men in mental health and films. I can think of one film in particular that really springs to mind all about male mental health um, seriousness or something and it was called A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe and it showed a man who was going through a schizophrenic episode and how it was impacting his life and his career and his wife and daughter and children and all of this and actually it glorified it really really badly and it was, <laughs> it was literally showing that 
but it was it was so close to dramatizing his entire life yet showing oh this is someone who's one of the most well-known mathematicians in the world that rather than really concentrating on you know the loss of everything and how it's actually really impacted him there was this dramatization that almost made it oh this is cool this is like a bond movement and actually that has such a negative impact towards how you view a diagnosed mental health issue, let alone that it was also with a male mental health issue. That I think, yeah, Sam, you're absolutely right. The media is also not helping this. Thank you for that, Marie. Um, what I am going to do is move us on to the next question, if that's okay with everyone. Give me a thumbs up. Yeah. Um, so the next question is, do you think the current pandemic is influencing students' mental health? Um, and how do you think virtual settings are also impacting student mental health? Uh, Sam, I'm going to come to you as a current student first. Um, I can speak from my, my perspective quite well here. Um, we've nearly been in lockdown for nearly a year now. And I live on my own, have done since the age of 17. And my mental health during this year has been the worst it's ever been, to the point that I have attempted suicide twice over the space of the last 12 months. One where I was in a respite unit for two weeks. The other one, the other one I got up the next morning and I went straight to university. Whether that was the best thing for me to do, it wasn't, but I wanted to carry on because it's you've got the routine and you need people say routine does this routine does that but routine is not all that and you can you can format routines you can keep formatting routines throughout the entire lockdown i've tried to do it but they don't work things you try and plan things you try and change things and something comes up or you just don't want to get up better and that makes it worse I and mean, then it's more difficult to get up out of bed. It's more difficult to get the work done. It's more difficult to actually talk to people because you you try, like what I've noticed, you try and talk to people saying, I'm struggling at the moment. Like, I can't do this. And then we're all struggling. We're all, we're all having these emotions. No, not everyone's having the same emotions. Not everyone's feeling the same because as we've already said, mental health is a spectrum. And what I'm feeling to another student is completely different majority of the students majority of students got home went home went was living with someone during lockdown i wasn't and, and that was exceedingly difficult for me to the point where there was week there was literal weeks where i didn't physically talk because i didn't see anyone to talk and i've i've i think once restrictions are lifted and we are out of lockdown, people's mental health is going to be going to be terrible. We already know that once lockdown is over, doctors all doctors are already saying people with eating disorders, the number is going to go up. Because I know for me, particularly my eating disorder over the lockdown, it's I've been eating for the sake of eating, and then there's just days where I didn't eat at all. 
and it's mental health during lockdown. It's it's horrible. It's just, you just spend time with your own thoughts all the time, and it's not nice. Thank you for that, Sam. And I know some of that was um, very personal to you, so I thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I know it must be very, very difficult living on your own. Uh, I obviously don't live on my own, so I can't say I will 100% understand it because I have never had to experience that. But I know it would be very, very difficult. Um, Ryan, do you have anything to add? Yeah, so this question's about students. So, so I'll keep it focused on students. The first thing I want to say is the media's got a lot to answer for. Um, this pandemic has been terrible on all of us. I, my one-year-old daughter hasn't seen her grandparents in the way that I'd like them to. Uh, her great-grandparents, my, my grandparents, who live up in Fleetwood, have seen her once when she was born. Um, so everybody's got it rough, but the media have just used students as a scapegoat from start to finish, which hasn't contributed to to um, the mental health of students who not only do they have the difficulties that other people may have around friends and uh, relationships and family, but also not knowing what the next steps for their career are going to be. And there's this view of people um, around students that they go to university to get drunk and you know, university is the time of your life. And you know what? University is the time of your life. And that's exactly why it's such a strain on their mental health. Because you should be enjoying your time at university. It's absolutely wrong to say that all students students go to university to, to get drunk. We, we know from our own diversity uh, of our students at Newman that that's simply not the case. We have all kinds of different students. Um, you know, there are students who have families. So not only do they have to think about homeschooling their children, um, they're also thinking about their friends and their social circles and the time of their life that they're missing out on. On top of thinking about how their course is going to be delivered and whether they'll get a job at the end of spending all this money on the education that they didn't think they'd ever have. So there's all of these things that come into play and the media have played such a sour part in all of that that I've had to switch off um, notifications from any media outlet uh, on my phone because I just don't have the power to shout at them myself. Um, and it is entirely frustrating in my role, particularly as we deal with many students coming through our advice service more than ever this year. Um, and sometimes I just simply can't help them in the way that I would like to. And, and that is so frustrating for us as an organisation that is there to help students. Um, I think the other thing is on a manager perspective, one of the things that I've seen this year, and I know the exec will agree, is there's been a huge strain on the relationship with myself and the part-time officers. Um, and what I've been reflecting on is, it's because we don't have this interaction in person. So our part-time officers have all the other things that students have to think about on top of trying to be a volunteer four of a student. So it's even more pressure. Now, usually if we're in the office, I can pick up on these things, body language, tone of voice, um, all these things I pick up on as, as a manager. And I can adapt my leadership style accordingly by just judging how that person is on the day. What I can't do is do that through a screen in the same way. 
So sometimes, again, you know, I mentioned it earlier, if things are going well, everybody's dead happy, but if things aren't going so well or things aren't being done, there's the short, sharp email that people will get. Now, I might not send that if I'm seeing people, or I might not have that conversation with somebody if I see them in person and I can see they're struggling. The first thing I would do is approach them and have a conversation. But actually, we don't have that luxury anymore. So the pandemic is causing issues within teams. So not only are our poor part-time officers worried about the same things as everybody else, uh, money, uh, family, relationships, friendships, missing out on university life, uh, the pressures of accommodation, uh, if they've got children, homeschooling, where their career is going to end up, how their course is going to be delivered, are they going to get a job at the end? They're now also trying to represent other students when other students are having really difficult times. And then they're also getting things from me because I'm unable to judge in the way that I'd like to how they're feeling. To be honest, I want to use this opportunity to say our part-time officers this year are absolute heroes and they don't get enough credit. Thanks for that, Ryan. I think there's two things there that I'll just want to quickly touch on before we go to Marie for any points that she wants to raise with this. I think when we look at the stereotypical student people think 18 to 21 year old student who goes to university and drinks but there's also that stereotype there that students can't cook they can't do anything for themselves they'll eat junk food all the time and I think that just puts a huge burden on students themselves to be like actually I've now got this stereotype attached to me and now I've got to break this to prove people wrong and um, so I think that's one big issue about when people come to university before they even start. I think on the thing about the part-time officers, I think some people don't realize that actually, we've never all been in the same room together at the same time. We've never actually had a team meeting or a get together or anything in a room at the same time, apart from if it's on Zoom. And Zoom isn't really a room at the moment, um, but it's the way that we have to do it. And I think the part-time officers and Chris as well are all doing an absolute great job and I think what some people need to realize is that they're humans as well so they'll have their own feelings and their thoughts and whilst they are trying to get across to students that we're here for you and support you whatever else sometimes they need support as well and I think that's something that needs to be pushed amongst our students actually you've got your part-time officers, they are students, they are volunteers, they do have all these worries that you are having, but they also have extra worries because they're trying to support you as well. Um, yes, that is a role to support students and to um, represent students, but there is also the aspect that they need extra support as well. Marie, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I, I think everything that you guys have said between Samley and Moyne spot on I think the only thing I have to add really to just bring in a different perspective to it is from a psychological side I'm, I'm just putting numbers through here um, we're social creatures humans are a social creature it's part of one of our needs that we actually need to have human contact and socialize with people and I think something that we've learned this year is that a virtual platform is not a replacement for that and it's 
but in, I mean, I echo some of what Sam's feeling. I, I work and live on my own at the moment because obviously my little boy is with his grandparents while I'm recovering um, from health, not anything else, just saying. Um, but it's basically that lack of social comfort, that lack of being able to judge that body language and actually being able to have a laugh with someone or just have someone sit with you while you're upset. That is something which is severely impacting people this year and it's adding to that feeling of isolation and loneliness. And that's a big thing that's coming up across not just not just students, but also society. And then when you've got crimes statistics going up because of this as well, so you look at domestic violence has risen, you look at eating disorders, which are flaring up, and um, mental health issues are now at the forefront of people's minds because there are the one been misrepresented in the media, particularly students, like Brian's mentioned earlier, or two are so isolated from each other, particularly if you're living on your own, that that routine, that structure, the very basic need that you have as a human is not there. So I think it is really impacting people. But I also think we're just all a bit fed up of virtual things. So I know, you know, virtual platform like Zoom, for instance, you know, if you're working a standard nine to five job, chances are you're staring at a screen all day. Now, if you were in an office, you'd be able to get up, walk around, go for them breaks. But it's so easy when you're at home to sit there in a really bad position. Like I'm in a bad position now, to be quite frank. I'm sat on my sofa with my laptop just on a little foot thing. And I'm just like, actually, that's probably not healthy. That's, that's something that I should be working on myself. But it's something that we just do. Because when you're at home, usually, and you're just chilling out, a little bit of this posture isn't going to harm you. But actually, a year down the line, we're all doing things that are so unhealthy where we're not taking them regular breaks from Zoom, where we're not saying, oh, do you know what? I'm getting a headache. I should step back from the screen now, take that break. We all push through because we know, do you know what? You've got deadlines. And students are just as bad for it. They'll see a deadline coming up with their assignment and they'll go, right, I've got to read X amount of research papers. Then I've got to plan everything. Then I've got to write everything. Like, okay, where in all that time have you stepped away from your screen? I had a student the other day who said that she read 17 papers across a morning and just spent that entire time staring at the screen. Like, no wonder you've got a headache. <laughs> like, and it's these things, and I don't blame people for it because I think we're all just as bad as each other. I know that I myself will sit there and just push through if I'm not feeling particularly well. I'll be like, no, I want to get my job done because I want to help people. And other people are exactly the same. We're in such a catch 22 at the minute where we want to help each other but at the same time we're doing unhealthy habits to do that so we're making it kind of worse on ourselves in some ways thank you marie i think you've raised a very very valid point there about with working from home and students having to study from home as well it's where before the pandemic it was home i'm going home from work or i'm going home from uni and that's my time to relax now actually your home has become your working environment so it's like, if I'm working in the living room or the dining room, for example, or if you're in a flat and it's all in one, like you've got a living dining room, kitchen, all in one and an open plan. It's like, if I sit there to do my work all day, nine till five or nine till six, or late night study sessions, you're like, actually, where else can I go within this room that I can relax? Because 
I think there is a big crossover now where you're like, home is meant to be home, work is meant to be work, and you shouldn't take your work home with you. But now there isn't that opportunity to sort of break away from work because when you're working, you're at home. So it has caused a lot of confusion with people. And I think there needs to be a balance there where actually after this time, I'm cutting off and this. Um, Ryan, we do have time for one more question. Um, so if you're okay holding off until that. I think with the last question, it's where can students get support if they are experiencing mental health issues or struggling with their mental health issues? And how can they also support themselves as well? Ryan. That actually um, goes to what I was going to go into anyway. So that's, that's perfectly good timing. Um, the first point of call I was going to say to students is the first thing to do is to create an environment that works for you. Before, uh, mental health, as we said, is on a spectrum. You will have good and bad days, but it's about putting in mechanisms that make you as an individual comfortable. So to relate back to the pandemic, I was just going to talk through kind of my daily routine because it's what I have to do to survive. And when I say survive, I mean literally survive because I, I work from home full time with a one-year-old daughter and as a new parent, trying to work out what, what this weird and wonderful world is at the moment. So for me, I, I have, you can see I'm in my daughter's room at the moment. So my daughter doesn't come into her room in the daytime. This is where my desk is set up. I have a proper desk and a chair. I get up in the morning and shower and I put on work clothes. Now you wouldn't think that today, um, this is because I'm on a half day today. Uh, I'm going to build a wardrobe after this. Uh, but usually I, um, I put on a work shirt. I put on an actual work shirt. So I feel like I'm at work. I, I have a pair of trousers, work trousers or chinos or, um, you know, things that make me feel like as if I was going to drive into work. Then I make myself a coffee. And I come and sit at my desk. Now, what I do is I pencil in breaks. I have to. I have to put them in my calendar because what I used to do was just sit there and just stare at the screen all day. So I put in regular breaks. The times when if I was on site, I might go out with another staff member and, and have a cigarette or a smoke or something along those lines. We, we don't have that. So I have to pencil that in for myself. The other thing is about being flexible. So I phoned Liam the other day, uh, just because everything's been so busy, uh, between myself and my partner, I had an hour. So I decided to go and do my shopping in the middle of the day. Now, usually we wouldn't do that at work, but actually if we're living in a capacity where we have to be flexible, flexible working has to work both ways. So I decided I'm gonna walk away. I haven't got any meetings. I'm gonna walk away from my desk and I'm gonna go and do my shopping. I went to Aldi and spent a load of money. <laughs> so I then came back and I carried on my work but I made my work hours up so the biggest thing that you can do as students is um, start to create environments that's good for you and as we said at the beginning no two students is the same and what those environments look like are completely different and it will depend on your living arrangements whether you live on your own whether you live in a house a flat or a studio whether you have children all of those things will come into play, but you have to create your own environment because nobody else is going to do that for you. That doesn't mean that that will eradicate any kind of mental health 
issue or where you have your good or bad days, but it's knowing yourself and understanding yourself on what you can do when you do have those bad days. So I have mechanisms in place for me to be able to move my workload. Um, Cause I know some days when I'm really good, I'm super productive. And, you know, last week I, I, I was a student again last week. I, I was doing my ILM and I wrote 7,000 words in three days because I was feeling super productive. Um, this week, absolutely no chance of me doing that. I just don't have the mental capacity to be able to do that this week. So I have mechanisms in place for those kind of things. In terms of further support, you can always come and see your students union. That's why we're here. Three out of four of our permanent staff members are mental health first aid trained. Um, there's also student support in the university. But as always, and I'm going to go back to my original thing about mental health and physical health. If you are in crisis, it is important that you phone 999. Always, always, always in the same way that if you are in a crisis in a physical health if, uh, perspective, that you call 999 immediately. Thank you, Ryan. Sam? Yeah, so I agree with everything Ryan just said, but I will also take it from a different, a different perspective, obviously a student's perspective. Like, for instance, me and Marie were talking this morning about how we both take a bit of time out of our day to actually read a physical book. Because I'm fed up of looking at screens all day. It's not doing my mental health any good. It's not, it's, I'm getting migraines more frequently because of it. But also there is some, there is some great technology which is good. Like I personally use apps like Calm Harm um headspace um and mindfulness mindfulness helps so much taking one or two minutes just to breathe and do, doing breathing activities and meditation yoga stuff like that they do help and they do work so even going out for a walk every day even if it's just even if it's just around the block even if it's just to the shop just try and leave your house as much as possible. Just for a little bit, just get some air, different environment. Because the environment you're in, it does affect. Like I, I live in an open flat studio apartment and I'm fed up of looking at the same walls day in and day out. So it's, and it's just, yeah, it's, you have to find what works for you. Like what works for me is obviously not going to work for every student at Newman, but it's you've got to do what you've got to do at the end of the day. And it's, I think, talking to people, like, like talk to the staff at the SU, talk to the officers in the SU, e um, email Lynn and student services. And just, if you need someone to speak to, you've got student services, you've got students union, You've got Margaret at the chaplaincy and and Noella. So it's you've got all these people who you can go and talk to as well. You, I think my, my key message to students through this podcast is you are not alone during all this. The things you're feeling, the things you're you're trying to cope with, you can pretty much guarantee there is going to be another student, even another member of staff, feeling exactly the same. Thank you for that, Sam. I think just to add on to that, 
when speaking to individuals and seeking help, sometimes it's good to speak to your friends and because they're a friendly ear to you, I think friends can be the most important people to help you through anything. And I think whether that friend, these could be friends that you don't speak to on a daily basis, but you know when you need them, they are there for you. Um, also, there are supporting organisations around that can support you as well. And one way that you can support yourself is finding the best way that suits you to cope and to manage it. Um, now on the SU website, under the support page, there is the self-help wellbeing guide. Now there are coping mechanisms in there and how you can support yourself through that. But these won't, these are just generic ways of doing that. These aren't specific ways that will work for everyone. Um, and within that as well, there are a list of multiple different organizations that you can contact and their availabilities and how to contact them if you do need that support as well. Marie, gonna ask you if you've got anything final to add before we close this podcast. Yeah, so one of the things that really stuck with me when I was doing mental health first aid training was it's not about telling people the right option to take. And it's something that we have all been saying here is there are so many different options for you to consider if you are struggling, whether that's talking to your friends, going to a doctor's, going to student support, going to a charity, looking at the mental health guide. I think the best thing that you can do as a student, as a person, as a staff member, anything, is consider every option and then get informed opinions of what you think is going to work for you. That is why there are so many different health services. It's why there's so many different types of therapies and why there's so many different types of medication. Because the overriding theme that I think has come from this is not one thing fits all. So my first bit would be make yourself informed of what your options are and then really take time to reflect on what you're going to need because you know yourself better than anyone else. The second one would be be realistic with what you're wanting to change. If you're feeling really overwhelmed and you're feeling stuck in a rut or if you're feeling at a crisis point, you can't do a big change and make it sustainable because you're in such a difficult situation at the minute that big change is just a lot of pressure to put on yourselves. So start small. So for me, for instance, during lockdown, my eating was horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And I'd go like a day and realise, oh, I haven't eaten anything, I love banana. And then the next day I go, well, I only had banana yesterday, so I can actually afford to have a proper meal today. And I worked myself into a real dark place. And it took a lot of time for me to go, do you know what, little changes. I'm going to make sure that I wake up at this point every day. And I did that for a month. And then the next month it was, right, I'm in a routine with that one. What am I going to do now? And my most recent one, and this for anybody who knows me, you're going to laugh, is I've started trying to brush my hair. Now that's something that I don't do. I'm usually known for just tying my hair back or just having it down and going with it. But actually, I've started trying something new. It's something that tends to make me feel better when I get a student or a staff member or anyone who turns around and goes, oh, you actually look nice today because you've done something with your hair. I'm like, okay, something's working. It gives me a little pick me up. And that's something that you guys should try as well if you're struggling a bit. Just do something that makes you feel good and sustain that little thing until it becomes a habit. 
Once it's a habit, then look at a next step. It's a slow process, but it's one that will stick with you and it will help you. Thank you for that, Marie. Um, we are pretty much out of time now. Um, I would just firstly like to finish this off by thanking Marie, Sam and Ryan for being a part of this podcast. Um, just to let you know, it is University Mental Health Day. There are support networks out there for you. Throughout the day, we'll be posting some stuff about how you can support yourself and how there are organisations there to support you. Um, I think just to close it off, I just want to say to everyone, you are not alone. Um, please, please talk, whether that is to a professional or a friend, um, and reach out to each other. I think it's important that you are regularly checking in on each other, especially at this current moment when we are in a lockdown. Um, so please reach out to each other, please talk, and please be kind to each other. Thank you.